0: Sing,
1: Sing.
2: It's great to see everyone back here in this place today. And uh, thankful for those that have chosen to be here in the building. Thankful for those that are tuning in on Facebook and those that are in the parking lot. Welcome everyone to our service today. It's an honor to have you with us. And as we begin our service, we first of all want to welcome all those that are visiting with us today. If you're a guest, um, so glad to have you today. We encourage you, if you would, to fill out, if you got a bulletin, the care card there. Uh, we would love to have a record of your visit, um, and just fill that information out, and you can place that back there at the table as you leave in the offering plates, or you can hand it to one of our greeters or one of our staff guys. Um, if you don't have a chance to do that, please stop by our guest table. We have a guest bag we would love to put in your hands out there. Just grab one of those and uh, get some more information about our ministries here when everything is back up and running. and I hopefully, Hopefully, that's going to be sooner than later. Um, As many of you know, we've been offering our facilities and so thankful that we can offer our facilities for the max vaccination efforts that are ongoing. Um, There was a second shot that took place yesterday morning. Um, There is one, if if you are on our phone call system, you're made aware that um, people's and in cooperation with the other pharmacies in the county, EMS, um, as well as the health department, numerous agencies, um, they have over a thousand vaccines available and that's gonna take place this coming Saturday. And that's just a reminder, you can call Peoples. There's a phone number and you can call and get signed up for that. But just to say this, all those that are a part of the vaccination efforts, the medical workers, um, EMS, emergency management, uh, they have all, when they've come here, they have expressed their gratitude that we've opened, opened up our facilities. So I just wanna to say to the church, thank you, uh, make you aware of that, that that is ongoing and we're gonna to continue to do that as much as we can to help in these efforts. Um, But I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, I want to read Philippians 419. It simply says this, And my God shall meet all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't know what your greatest need is this morning, but whatever that need is, those needs are met in Jesus. We think we have a lot of physical needs. You think you need a little bit more money for a bill, and you probably do like all of us do. But our greatest need is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, all of our needs are met in him. And today, if you don't know him, our prayer is that you would, or maybe you've strayed, that you may return. Let's pray together as we begin our service. God, thank you that we can call on your name to know that you hear us. And, Lord, to to really claim this promise, to believe it, that you meet every need that we have. You supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we have reason to celebrate this morning, and thank you for all that you do for us, that we can be restored, our sins forgiven, and Lord, we can walk with you and have eternal life and life abundant here. So God, help us to worship you today and sing out of our hearts and hearts that are grateful and thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a minute to wave at your neighbor, welcome them to the service, and let's worship together.
3: Share a couple uh, prayer requests with you this morning. Joel Warren's father passed away, and the services will be today. The Davidson family. I want you to remember them and pray for, for her and her family. Uh, Joe Morrison, he's a young man in the hospital. We want to remember him. And he's in pretty critical condition. And I want you to pray for, for Joe Morrison this morning. And then there's a friend of mine I went to school with and worked with, uh, Jeffrey Reed. Jeffrey's in Catawba Hospital. He's been there a while. He's going to be there for a long time in recovery. I want you to remember Jeffrey this morning. This morning, I want to encourage you by reading Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Aren't you glad God's with you? Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I'm glad God gives us that promise. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, help us not to fear, but have faith. Lord, faith overcomes fear. Lord, it gives us the power to believe and trust in a living God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could imagine or think. We thank you for the faith that we have in Christ. And Father, this morning, help us not to be dismayed, but trust you cause you're with us you will strengthen us when we face difficulty because you're alive forevermore and father this morning we thank you that you are lord we thank you that you will help us in a time of need and trouble and father this morning we pray for the Warren family for the Davidson family lord we pray for the Morrison for Joe I pray for Jeffrey in the hospital You continue to God heal him and make him well but Father, this morning, we want to thank you that you're a God who loves us and you care for us. And you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and you're with us always. And we just want to worship you today. We want to stand with hearts, of, hearts wide open, abandoned, worshiping the living God who lives within us. And Father, we love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
0: everything behind me and found the God who makes all things whose grace still covers me and I fell on you when I was at my weakest and found the God the lifter of my hand and I worshipped you and found you right beside me you're the reason that I sing cause you're the God
4: Kelly, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be talking about this thought. It comes directly from the Scripture. And if you'll go ahead and go to the Scripture in case people don't have their Bibles, we'll just look at it together. You'll go to that first slide. Now notice what Paul says in uh, chapters 8 and chapters 9. Paul's been talking about how Christians helping other Christians, right, financially. And in verse 14, I believe it is, he says this. If I can find verse 14 here. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And what he's saying is this. Because you're helping these people, and you're giving of yourselves. Number one, it shows that you really love the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord. And number two, what you've gained is a new fellowship. The people you're helping. Okay? They're going to pray for you every day because you have met a need. And when I mean need, when, when Paul talks about a need, they, a need was they didn't have. If you don't help me, I have nothing the next day. Okay? That's what he was talking about. And he says, because of your love in Jesus and because financially you sacrificed of yourself and you helped these people, for the rest of your lives they're going to pray for you and intercede for you. And he says, you've got to understand, they love Jesus like you do. They have a need and you've met it. And then he comes to verse 15. And all of uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 9, has built up to this one verse. Notice what it says, thanks. That's the greatest Gratitude. Be to God the greatest giver, for His indescribable gift, the greatest gift. God is the greatest giver. Jesus is the greatest gift. And we, as God's children, should give daily the greatest gratitude. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for your word. Father, I pray this morning, as we leave this place, we would realize and come to appreciate, God, that you're the greatest giver. All that we have, and all that we will have, comes from the throne of God. And Father, you showed that, Lord, not just by meeting the needs of your children, but by giving the greatest gift. Lord, there's no one like Jesus. No one. Father, when we receive Christ, we receive everything. And Lord, because of that, we should have the greatest gratitude. This should be the most grateful church on the planet. Because we understand that, God, everything comes from you. You sent your Son. Lord, we've received Him. And in return, Lord, you, you, you ask for our praise, our life, our time. Lord, what a wonderful way to show our gratitude. What a tremendous verse. Father, we thank you and we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. The first point is God is the greatest giver. The greatest giver is to whom we belong. Thanks, in verse 19. Everything is flowing from the throne. God is the sender and the source of this gift. It has been given. Everything that God gives is because God loves. Do you realize that God loves you? I shared this quote with you before. It comes from David Jeremiah. He says this. This is an important fact of life. That God loves you as an individual. See, it's not just that God loves mankind, though he does, but he loves man and woman. All right? God just doesn't love populations, but God loves individual people. And David Jeremiah said this, God loves you. The eternal self-existent being who created and sustains everything that exists dearly loves you. Think about that for a moment. God loves you. He knows you by name. And he loves you. He goes on to say this, the profound thought of God's love should begin and end your every day. It should define your every goal, your every action. It is not merely that God loves, it's that God is love. Everything he does is rooted in and motivated by love. He made the world because he is love. He formed human beings because he is love. And he rules the universe in that love. In other words, John, is, or John in John 3.16 is reminding us that when we think of God and the world he created, we should never forget about his love. And God's love is unique, and I've shared this with you before too, is because God's love for you is uncaused. Think about that. There's nothing that we can do to cause God to love us. There's nothing we can do to prevent Him from loving us. God does not fall in love with you. God loves you because God loves you. It is uncaused. It's not because you're a better person than your neighbor. We're all morally depraved before we come to Christ. It's not because you look better. God is not, God is not, shows no favorites, He is impartial. This is what Moses told Israel. He said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. And what Moses, God said through Moses, Israel, God didn't choose you because you were special. He chose you because he is. He could have chosen the Philistines if he wanted to. He, he chose you. And then he goes on to say this, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. You're saved today because God loves you. Do you realize that? The greatest giver gives because he loves you. God's love is uninfluenced. Think about this as a child of God. Your actions don't change God's love for you. Think about that. That's going to help you performance people. God's love is not influenced by your actions. Think about this. Your good actions don't make God love you anymore. Your bad actions don't make Him love you any less. Do you realize after you're saved, if you're God's child, that your your good and bad does not influence you? God's love love is not like ours. God doesn't fall in and out of love with you. God loves you because God is love. God does not love you because you read the Bible more than your neighbor. God does not unlove you because you sin more than your neighbor. Okay? I'm amazed at the number of people that have come to me for counseling. And once you explain this amazing concept that your actions don't influence God, it gives people a little peace, doesn't it? It doesn't. That's why a born-again Christian that gossips about another Christian, who do you think you are? We all got stuff, right? We all got things that we deal with. Your actions do not influence God one bit. God loves because God loves. God gives because God loves. John Ortberg said this. Nothing you will ever do can make God love you more. Nothing. Nothing. I don't preach to make God love me more. I preach because He called me to preach. Listen. Nothing you will ever do can make God love you more than He does right now. Not greater achievement. Not greater beauty. Not wider recognition. Not even greater levels of spirituality and obedience. You don't read the Bible to make God love you more. You read the Bible because you love God. You don't come to church because you're checking it off your spiritual checklist so God will love you more. You come to church because you love the people of God and you love God. You're you're not earning brownie points here today. You do it, but God's love doesn't change whether you come or not. I'm just going to be honest with you. It doesn't. He goes on to say this. Nothing you have ever done can make God love you any less. Isn't that an amazing thought? Nothing that you have ever done since you've been born again can make God love you any less, and most of you don't believe me. You don't. You don't believe me. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter to me what you've done. It's between you and the Lord. I'm going to love you either way. I'm going to try to be like Jesus in your life, okay? Nothing you have done can make God love you any less. Is there discipline that comes with things? Do you reap what you sow? Of course. I think a lot of times the things that are that, the consequences in our life from sin, we blame God, and God don't have anything to do with it. Just consequences of sin. God's love for you not God's love for you is not like this. He's not a middle school boy or girl, right? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? You remember when you was in middle school and you dated that guy because he bought you ice cream at break and you was gonna marry him? Well, aren't you glad you didn't? God's not like that, okay? Look, listen, nothing you have ever done could make God love you more or less, especially less, not any sin, not any failure, not any guilt, not any regret aren't you thankful? See, God is the greatest giver and God gives because God is love and it's motivated in love and what does God give us? If you have your Bibles just turn back to 2 Corinthians the first chapter, I'm going to read really quick notice what verse 1 says because chapter 1 builds up to verse 15 of chapter 9 he says this in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and then notice verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, so He gives us mercy, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. All grace and peace in your life is flowing from God through the Son and applied by the Spirit. According to verse 3, any comfort that comes from God the Father, all comfort comes from God the Father. All mercy and salvation before and after flows from God the Father All comfort, not one drop of comfort outside of God the Father. In chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about how God is our sufficiency. Notice these points on the screen, if you'll show these, Corey. God is our sufficiency, and he's building this up over and over again. In chapter 3, he talks about how God is our sufficiency. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says this. He makes this statement. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God, not on us. And what he's saying is this. God d- divinely enables us to serve him when we do. God is the power source. And I like what one person said about serving God. All we supply is weakness, and God the great giver supplies all the power. Uh, I, I, I recently did a wedding, and we we're sitting there at the wedding party, and we're, we're joking, all right? And I always tell the bride and groom, you cannot mess up. Only I can. All the pressure's off you. And that's the truth. The only person that can mess up, in a way, unless you pass out, or unless a singer forgets the words, is the preacher. All right? And one of the bridesmaids looked at me and said, do you ever get nervous before you speak at a wedding? I said, every time. I'm nervous now, lady. I said, I'm so nervous. Do you get nervous before you preach? The most nervous person in this church is that guy sitting right there. Because I know me. All right. I'm the guy who would skip school when I had to do an oral report and I spoke for five minutes now I speak for longer than five minutes now amen but you know what I rely on God you called me you did it I'm trusting in you to empower you, you know what that tells me for you think about this are you hesitant to serve then you don't trust God are you he- if you've been called now listen to me and I don't care what it is, God don't call us all to teach, preacher, or Are you hesitant to serve? If you say yes, I don't think it's as much you as it is your trust in God. The reason I didn't surrender to the ministry before I did is because I didn't trust me. No, 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 preacher told me, you don't trust God. You can trust him to save your soul but not help you preach a sermon? Let me ask you again. Are you hesitant to, to serve God? If so, I don't think it's so much about you as your faith in Him. Is God the greatest giver? Did God call you? If God called you, He will enable you. Trust me, He will. And God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. You cannot cannot, uh, do any better than that, but do you trust God? Do you trust God's power? Is God a good giver? Is He the greatest? Then trust Him. And then 2 Corinthians, verse 5, he makes this statement to us. He says in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You know what Paul's saying? You know, Paul said this in chapter 4, My inward man's getting better, but boy, my outer body is decaying every day. It's It's getting harder and harder to get up out of bed. You know, I've shared this with you before. You know, I'm 51 now. I know I look 30, but I'm 51 and when I get, out, uh, get up out of bed, I'm like, what happened to me last night? What happened? Did somebody attack my body? You hurt all over. You, Paul says your outward body is can, And at, at some point, this tent is going to be put down. But guess what? For all of you that have lost loved ones this year and this past year, listen to what Paul tells us. Notice the greatest giver. Paul says this in verse 2, For, we, for in this body we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. You know what he's saying? Even your body is desiring for that other body. Just like the earth in Romans 8 groans for the new earth, your body, whether you realize it or not, is groaning for that other body. He goes on to say this, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall be found naked. For we are we are who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. He says it's not because we want to die. We want the new body. He goes on to say this, that that... Mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And then look at verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. As long as you're here, you're not there. Pretty simple con- concept, isn't it? Then he goes on. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What a gift. When you die, you're with Jesus. When you die, you're with Jesus. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, To be in this body is to physically be separated from the Lord, even though we have the Holy Spirit. What a gift God has given us. That regardless of what happens to this body, or the date of your funeral, the date of your death, if you're a Christian, you're with Him. What a blessing. What a blessing. A body perfect, adapted for heaven and heaven on earth. God just keeps giving and giving and giving. But the most important gift God has given us, notice John 3.16 on the screen, and we'll, we'll look at it together. For God so loved the world. Look at the word world. What that word means in the Greek is this. Those who are fallen morally and who are spiritually deprived. depraved. That means God came, Jesus came and died for pagans. One scholar put it this way. In John 3.16, God's love in sending the Lord Jesus... is to be be admired not because its extent is so big a thing as the world, but it's so bad a thing. Not to so many people as to such many wicked people. Notice, his only begotten son. It'd be amazing if God had ten sons and he gave one, but God had one son and he gave them to pagans. He gave, notice the word, he gave. True love, not just in words. He sacrificially gives. Notice, you don't have enough money to buy this gift. Even if you own the whole world, you don't. Notice Romans 4, 25 on the screen. Paul says this. Notice now, God, this is about God giving. Talking about Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Look at the word delivered up. That means nobody took Jesus' life. He was delivered. God handed him over. Jesus said this before he died. You don't take my life. I give it. You don't have the power to take my life. He told Paul, "I called twelve legions of angels. Who are you? I give my life. God delivered him up. God gave His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave." And then Romans five eight. But God demonstrated His love. How? Because He gave. God is the greatest giver. The second thing is this: Jesus is the greatest gift. In verse fifteen. Paul says this, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Look at the word indescribable. It's amazing. It's the only place in the New Testament this word is used to describe Jesus. Jesus cannot be fully described. One scholar says this gift is so amazing and so astonishing that we cannot describe it. Paul is the greatest theologian ever to live and he says, I can't do it. I'm just going to use two compound words, which mean this. It means not able to expound in full, unable to express completely. It defies human explanation. Human words fall short of the infinite value and eternal worth of this gift who is Jesus. Jesus surpasses all words. No human language can adequately describe Him. Why? Notice in verse 5. This is a verse I memorized after the Lord saved me. And it says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Only God can change your nature, and He does that through Jesus. You cannot change your nature. You can reform yourself. You can stop doing certain things, and you can stop saying certain things. But you cannot change yourself on the inside. You can't do it. It's humanly impossible. Only Jesus can. He says, those that God saves are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that a blessing? All things have passed away, old things... And then new things come. This is a radically, radically being changed at the point of your nature. And then in verse 18, he, he makes this great statement. He says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. What does the word reconciled mean? It means there's two parties, and they're at war with each other. They can't get along. It's not like the Hatfield McCoys. It's not like Jews and Muslims in the Middle East. It's worse they're so far apart that they have to have somebody else to bring them together. There's this enormous chasm that's separated sinful man and God. It cannot ever be bridged by sinful man, it's impossible. A prophet can't do it, an angel can't do it. That's what the word reconciliation means. It means that you're so far apart, the bridge is so far wide, there's no human being that can cross it. You can't do it. You can't do it. So God sent his son. Look at Colossians 1:20 on the screen if you will. And by, him, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross Jesus Christ is the mediator that can bring the two together. Sinful man if he repents and places his face in Christ and then bring him together with God. That's indescribable, Paul says. That God can bridge the gap through Jesus Christ. Notice First Timothy 2.5, Paul makes this statement for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One God and one mediator. That, that to Paul is truly indescribable. One scholar put it this way, one God and one mediator, just one. By his death on the cross and his resurrection, he has reconciled a host of lost sinners to God if they'll place their faith in him. And what Paul would say is this, that is, without a doubt, indescribable. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this in verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Notice that word, not imputing trespasses against them. It's a mathematical term. It's where we get the word logic or logical. What it means is this. God removes from the books for all eternity the sins charged against them because of their faith in Christ. Now think about this. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ all your sins past present and future are erased for eternity now think about that that's why God does not love you based on your performance because you're declared not guilty for all eternity you're justified as Romans 5 says in the highest court of the land God says this not guilty for eternity in Romans 8:1, he says no one can bring a charge against God's elect. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, which means that's a legal term. You cannot rightly judge a Christian and find him guilty. Why? Because God has removed, as verse 19 says, the uh, transgressions that you've committed. Psalm 103.12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions or sins from us. So you can measure from North Pole to South Pole but you can't measure from east to west. Micah 7.19 says that God will cast our sins into the depth of the sea and what Jews would understand is this, that's out of sight forever. The lowest part of the oceans. In Hebrews the Bible says this, their lawless deeds and transgressions I will remember no more. What an indescribable gift. John said this when he saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has promised this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have been washed in the blood. He has removed every stain of sin for all time. How? Notice verse 21 of chapter 5. For he made him who knew no sin. Notice that. Jesus knew no sin. He was virgin born, did not have a sin nature. He was perfect in every point. Hebrews seven twenty-six said he was holy, innocent, and undefiled. The demons in Mark chapter 1 said, screamed out when they saw Jesus and said, you are the holy one. In 1 John 3, 5, John says this, In Jesus there is no sin at all. God made the sinless one, notice what it says in verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That that word to be is added, really in the original translation it means this, He made him who knew no sin, sin. All the sin of all the people who would ever believe in his Son are placed on him. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2, 24, when he says this, if you'll notice on the screen. Who himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He bore your sin, past, present, and future on the cross. And what Paul would say is, that gift is so indescribable. Paul says, I don't have words. He became our sin bearer, taking our sin on the cross, but also our wrath bearer, taking God's wrath. And notice what it says, what happens to us in verse 21. Verse 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." What an exchange on the cross. You give Jesus all your sin and He gives you all of His righteousness. All of our sin on Him, all of His righteousness on us, what a gift. What a gift. In, in chapter 8 of verse 9 of Second Corinthians it says that He was rich but for our sakes became poor. No one started out so high and came so low so you could be saved. And you become rich in holiness, righteousness, grace, peace, love, and joy. That's the greatest gift that has ever been given. God, the greatest giver, gave the greatest gift in Jesus. And that should lead to, logically, the greatest gratitude which comes from you. The only proper response to this is gratitude. You can't thank Him enough. There's not enough words. You can't give yourself back to Him enough. Ephesians 1 3, Paul puts it this way Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We should be the most grateful church on earth. How do you express your gratitude to God? You give your life to Him. I'm talking about after you're saved. You know, we, we talked about in Romans 12 1, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There's a time in your life after you're saved, you just say, God, my life's yours. Have you ever been there? Have you gotten to the point you want to. You What God says is that's your reasonable act of worship. Worship's not so much shouting in church, even though there's nothing wrong with that. It's how you live on Monday through Wednesday, or Monday through Saturday. Are you giving Christ your life? You want to worship God, worship Him through your life. And say, God, my life is yours. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I I think I was 22 years old. And I said, God, my life is yours. And I'm glad I did. Have you ever just came to the end of your life and saying, God, I'm so grateful that you're a giver and Jesus is the greatest gift my life, whatever that looks like, is yours. I give my life to you. Many of you should pray that prayer today. God, I give my life to you. And then with your mouth, you praise him. In the Psalms, it says this over and over again. Praise the Lord. That means to brag about, to cheer. One scholar says every individual who has ever lived on the face of this planet has the responsibility to praise God. We've been made in his image. Thus we've been made to give Him glory. All of the creation was made for God's glory. Birds singing, trees budding, are giving glory to God. They are. Praising their Creator, doing that which God created them to do. Mankind is the only creature made in God's image. The only one who could think God's thoughts after Him is the one who suppresses the praise of God the most. Isn't that sad? The writer of Hebrews said this, Therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice continually to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. MacArthur put it this way, we're not just to give our heart, not just our thoughts, but our lips. God wants from us lips of praise, lips that speak, lips that sing the praises of His name, real sounds, real words, and the verse says He wants them continually. The greatest offering at times you can give is your praises, and what He says is like fruit from your lips. So you give your life You give your praise. You give your time to Jesus. Think about the time you spend in church. One hour here, especially during the pandemic. 52 hours out of your life in one year, you give to the Lord. 52 hours. 52 hours. How much of your time is spent with the Lord? God is the greatest giver, Jesus is the greatest gift. And we are to give the greatest attitude. Gratitude, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And if you're lost here today, I would encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. Acknowledge you're a sinner and Jesus is your only hope. And place your faith in the resurrected Christ. Then if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus years ago, why don't you just thank him quietly? Thank the Lord. Thank Him for His gift. Thank Him for all the the good that He's done in your life, the comfort that He's given you, the fact that He's sufficient in your life, the power God has given you throughout your life. Just thank Him for that. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Father, we thank You, we praise You for all of this, that, that verse is about You. And Father, we thank You. Father, it's it's really amazing that you've placed us in America, especially Alexander County, safe places. And Lord, it's so easy to become apathetic. It's so easy to become ungrateful. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Father, thank you most of all for the greatest gift that you've ever given me, and that was Jesus. And Lord, I pray that I would share Christ with a lost and dying world. And if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, whether they're in the auditorium, in the parking lot, or online. Father, I pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people so together, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday, and hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thank you, and you're dismissed.